We tonight are going to celebrate communion, so we'll do that in a little bit. But as we begin now the final couple chapters here in the book of Acts, as we head towards the close, the Apostle Paul is is going to make this incredible journey to Rome, the journey that was promised back in chapter 23. And there in verse 11 it says, But knowing, uh, but the following night, excuse me, the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul there in verse 11 of chapter 23 and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And so these last several chapters kind of almost have that flair of, God, what are you doing? Exactly what, what Pastor Brandon was praying. It's like we at times are tempted to think about, you know, God, do you really have this under control? Have you somehow misplaced my name on the grand list of people whose lives uh, you're actually actively engaged in managing? Or did I fall through some crack somewhere spiritually? I think if we're honest, almost every one of us has had those thoughts at some point in time if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time at all. Those moments where it's like, God, I I just don't know what you're doing. And you can surely see that in the Apostle Paul in the last several chapters, really from chapter 23. He has now spent the better part of four years in captivity waiting for what was said in chapter 23 to be brought to fruition. He's been chased out of Jerusalem The Sadducees, the Pharisees have been after him. They've attempted to see him incarcerated and put to death. He's escaped all of that. He's gone before Felix. He's gone before Festus. He's gone before Agrippa. And, And now he's going to be put on a boat and he's going to make a journey that by sea is 1,941 miles. He will then step off onto the country that we call Italy and he will travel 200 more miles by foot all so that he can go and ultimately be put to death and all during this journey we see things are not easy for the apostle Paul you would think that all that he's been through is he's written all the letters that we call the the writings of Paul He writes to the church at Ephesus, church at Colossae, church at Philippi, as he authors the book of Romans, as we now find these latter chapters of the book of Acts exclusively about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. As you see the life unfold, you would think at some point in time, God's going to cut him some slack. Amen? Anybody ever think like that in your own life? I have. You know, as I, as I pass 60 and I, you know, I'm like, you know, well, you know, maybe God's just going to kind of, you know, cut down on the, the, the warfare a little bit. You know, maybe he'd give me a little bit of a, an easier time. But instead, at nearly 60 years old, the Lord says, Jeff, I, I'm going to send you someplace new because I have something I want to do with your life. And I'm like, are you sure? Are you positive? You know, because it's kind of nice here in the mountains, and you want to send me where? And I'm not comparing the two journeys, but I'm saying be prepared for God to upset your little agenda. 
the things that you do in life, very often, all the way to the end, for the Lord, are perilous. And so tonight, this perilous journey uh, begins with the Apostle Paul. and He's going to finally, long last, he's now uh, about four years from what will be the end of his life. So this is October uh, of A.D. 59. So the Lord Jesus has been in heaven uh, for the better part of three decades. And now the Apostle Paul is going to finally get what the Lord promised to him. uh, A one-way, all-expenses-paid trip uh, to meet with Caesar. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the attention of your people. Thank you for the majesty and the glory of your word. Thank you that you do have all things working together for the good, for those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. We're grateful that we get to be here tonight. We pray that uh, you would speak now through the wonder uh, that is your amazing word, Lord, that we get to hear from you. And so we ask that you would bless us, speak to us through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you're going to notice as we embark here in chapter 27, we're really only going to look uh, at, at about the first 12 or 13 verses tonight. Uh, this will be a multi-part message because it, it's really important to kind of take these things one at a time because they represent something different each time. This is the perilous journey. Life for a believer is never completely easy. There are times when it is easier than others, but it's never completely easy. And if it is completely easy for you right now, all I can say to you is watch out. (laughs) Because your time is coming in a perilous journey. There's going to be some part of your life where you're going to be forced to, to have to rely solely and completely on the Lord. I just honestly believe with all my heart that that is God's desire for us, is that we trust him. And so some of us trust a little bit easier than others. For hard-headed people like me, uh, God allows me uh, the privilege of being tested a little more regularly, uh, allows me to go on perilous journeys a little more frequently, uh, allows me at times to actually be in foreign countries and have crazy things happen. Uh, Those things are faith builders, if you're walking with the Lord. You're going to notice as we begin this last section, they're, they're the, the writer of the book of Acts, which we know uh, is, is the gospel author Luke. So here in the second letter uh, that he gets a chance to author, he's going to switch to the pronoun we. So he has now joined the apostle Paul. And he's joined along with this man Aristarchus who came to faith in Christ. Now we know that he is a Macedonian, so he's Greek. Uh, They're actually going to sail along through the Greek Isles, so we're not sure exactly why Aristarchus is traveling with, but it's likely uh, that he's a scribe, because if you know about Paul's letters, eventually he'll begin to say, see with which large print I write these words. Uh, We believe he begins to lose his eyesight. Uh, Church history tells us that that's the case. And, And so he probably is already beginning to have his words recorded by a scribe. It appears that scribe is Aristarchus in this case. It's way too late in the year for them to begin this journey. 
something that you need to understand about that region of the Middle East. And in fact, the reason that we see the tempest on the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is actually just a large lake. But the Sea of Galilee is subject to exactly the same conditions that the Apostle Paul is is going to to find uh, blowing in his face very shortly. He's going to face catabolic winds. Whenever you have lots of altitude combined with desert heat, that cold air comes down from the mountains. Uh, It pushes its way down through the lighter, warmer air, and those winds blow directly across any body of water. That happens on the Sea of Galilee because the nearly 10,000-foot high uh, Mount Hermon is very close to the Sea of Galilee. It's only about 35 miles away. And so the same thing that happens on the Sea of Galilee actually happens in the Mediterranean. We don't think of it that way because we think of the entire Middle East uh, from movies that we've watched where it's perfectly flat and made of sand. Uh, That is not true. Paul's going to sail by the island of Crete. Uh, The island of Crete is actually a very large island. It's 140 miles long or so. Uh, It's kind of in parts nearly 160 miles, but it averages about 140. It's also nearly 40 miles wide, so it's a big island. It has two peaks on it. Both of them are over 8,000 feet, and they get snow on them. So you have this cold air mass that hangs over these mountains, over this very large island, and Paul is about to get into that time of year when the seasons are changing. The cold air is now settling over those mountains, And this storm pattern that we would call a cyclone uh, would normally blow across and blow from the north to the south towards Africa where the lighter, warmer air exists. So not only are we getting a a true story here, uh, which becomes very verifiable because this type of weather pattern still exists and the northern Mediterranean uh, in October, which is when this is, uh, gets very dangerous, but we also get the background for some of the most famous epics that we have ever had. Uh, if, if you're a, a roughly my age, you probably remember back uh, those 1950s and 60s movies that ultimately they were usually Greek epics, uh, but the, the famous one that comes to mind is Jason and the Argonauts. And they're, they're traveling on this journey, and they, they've come from Greece, and they're now sailing through the islands and Scylla and Charybdis and, you know, the, the whole Greek pantheon comes, to, comes, to, uh, uh, comes into view for us. And so it, it was normal during that time for people to think in both Roman mythology and Greek mythology. So what does God do if he wants to talk to a bunch of Greeks and Romans? He sets Paul on a journey that would make an amazing epic. And so the Apostle Paul is going to take off from Caesarea, just north of Jerusalem. He's going to travel along the coast. And he is then going to embark on this incredibly dangerous sea voyage that would make a wonderful novel by Homer. And so we begin that. And it it begins really this way, because when you... Uh, think about what the Apostle Paul's going to happen. He's going to go on a journey. Uh, what happens to you when you think about stepping out in faith? What happens to you when you begin to say, you know, Lord, I, I believe you've called me, but you're asking me to do something that looks kind of dangerous. 
You're asking me to go someplace I'm not totally comfortable with. You're, you're putting me into harm's way, God. What fills your heart? I've had to learn this the hard way in my life, and I'm not done learning it. I've actually gone through a few things this week that put me back into a place of reminding myself of the very truth that I'm teaching you. And so I, I don't want you to think for a moment that your pastor has gotten past the place that the Apostle Paul finished his race in. I fully believe that there are perilous journeys still ahead for Pastor Jeff, for Connie, for my family, and for us as a church. We're going to be asked to step out in faith. We're going to be asked to go places where there is a great possibility that that we might face disaster. That we may face dismay, just worrying about how things are going to turn out. That, that there's a possibility of defeat. People who live in perpetual lack of risk never experience defeat because they never risk anything. And consequently, they very rarely grow past where they already are. And if you want to be used in great ways, you can pretty much count on taking a perilous journey or two or ten. Or in my case, 50 or 100 because I'm a knucklehead so God lets me experience things at a very deep level very often disease you know sometimes I ask well you know I don't want to go on that missions trip you know one of the most common questions I get asked on missions trip am I going to get sick not not am I going to be able to minister very often some of the the early questions are "Will, will, will will I get sick Is the water good? Is the food good? And and there's nothing wrong with those questions, by the way. But if you are worried about God keeping you from getting sick, we have a fundamental problem with your usefulness to the Lord. Because if you haven't submitted your body to the Lord to where he can use it, and you're willing to risk maybe you're going to get a bug, you're going to have a tough time doing much that's really going to amount to anything for the kingdom unless you're willing to risk it all. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I count not my own life dear. Matter of fact, he said, of all my good things, my own righteousness, I count every last bit of it as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. How about death? Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody should have a morbid attitude and, you know, be wandering around going, hey, kill me. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I'm saying if at the end of days God doesn't have your life right here in L.A., then, then, you have to, then you do have to worry about whether he's got your life in El Salvador or whether he's got your life in Africa or whether he's got your life in Indonesia or whether he's got your life in Mexico. You, you have to worry all the time the same thing because if he doesn't have you here, then he doesn't have you there. But the converse is also true. If he has you here... If he can protect you on the freeway, he can protect you from bad water. Amen? And so if he's going to allow something in your life, he could just as easily have you hit by a truck. So if he's got you here, he's got you everywhere. The Apostle Paul knew this lesson. Difficulty. We are the most insanely focused on ease people on earth 
We want everything the easy way. And I'm not, I'm not messing with anybody tonight. I'll throw myself in the category. I don't like difficulty, but it's gotten to the place to where, you know, well, you know, I might miss my, you know, I, I can't TiVo that far in advance. And before you know it, your level of investment in the things of the Lord is anything that can be TiVoed so that you can, you know, make sure that you don't miss some, some program that you've been addicted to for 10 years. We have to look at difficulty the way God sees it. Difficulty in the hands of a sovereign God is an opportunity for him to show up big. Exactly what Brandon prayed. That is it. That's the deal. That's where we grow. And so in this perilous journey, we can ask ourselves these questions. Are the promises of God still true? You can imagine Paul's probably wondering those very things, at least a little bit, after all he's been through. Does your faith falter? And again, please do not. I'm not chastising a soul in this room right now. My faith has faltered at times. Let me be very blunt, super honest. There have been times when my faith, even as a pastor, it's faltered. That happens. But I can tell you what the answer to that is. And that's getting right back to the place of faith. Trusting God. Saying, Lord, you've had me since day one. You've got me now. You have my family now. You have my children now. You've got the church now. You have every one of us. You're more than able. Through you, we are more than conquerors. And I'm going to trust you. It's that simple. Do you trust God when it looks like your boat is going down? Do you trust God when it looks like your boat is going down? You see, it's easy for you to trust God when my boat's going down. Amen? It's amazing how many people exercise great faith when somebody else's ship is sinking. But when when it's your boat that's taken on water... That's where your faith gets tested. It's good that all of our faith gets tested, but it's most important that our own individual faith gets tested. Paul's about to make this incredible journey, and when you think about it, uh, he is, he is going to make this journey that is, today if you did it in an ocean liner, it's still a week. If you travel through the Greek Isles and do all those kind of things, it's going to take you a while. It, it's the better part of 2,000 miles by sea. And we don't think of that because of the way this journey is undertaken. This is not a powered vessel. This is a sailboat. Furthermore, it's heading against those winds that are coming from the north, Greece and Italy, the European continent. Now remember that the Alps are at the northern end of Italy. They run all the way over into France. Uh, They encompass the borders of Austria and Switzerland uh, and, and so there is a mass of cold air up there. That cold air is now getting colder because it's fall. And the warm air from summer is still all over the Mediterranean. And so these winds are beginning to pick up. Now, if you want to go north and the winds are coming from the north, how rough a sail do you think that's going to be? Now imagine that this is a vessel that can hold over 200 people plus a load of grain. And all it's got is sails. And it's going the wrong way against the prevailing wind. It's on a full tack the entire time. That means that the sails are sideways to the boat. That boat is heeled over and it's heading 
uh, basically almost exactly due west. Going to sail north for a little time and go around Cyprus. And so this perilous journey begins, verse 1, here in Acts 27. And when the time came, we set sail for Italy. And Paul and several other prisoners were, were placed in the custody of an army officer named Julius. He was the captain of the Imperial Regiment. And I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation so that you can kind of see the modern uh, take on it a little bit. And Aristarchus, a, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So we're studying the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, the first one. We just finished that. We'll start the second one on Sunday mornings. And so this is part of the fruit of the ministry in Thessalonica that's along with the Apostle Paul. So he's along with us. And notice the us and the we here. And we left uh, on, on a boat uh, whose home was at Drantium. And, and it was scheduled to make several stops at the ports along the coast of the province of Asia. Now remember that the modern countries that we have today, uh, sailing up the coast, Lebanon, Turkey, uh, then into Greece, did not exist. That was Asia Minor. And so Asia and Asia Minor, right next to one another, uh, Sicilia, Cappadocia, uh, Bithynia, all these places, Lycia, Pamphylia, um, all of the places that Paul wrote to, Galatia is to the north of there. And so they're going to sail up along the coast. They're going to head north first. And, and they're going to sail between this space that exists uh, between the island of Cyprus and the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. They'll first stop at Sidon. Sidon uh, is located still today, the port city. Uh, it was the home port of the Phoenicians. Uh, it's in modern-day Lebanon. It's only about 60 miles north. And so the backstory story uh, here is what we've seen in the last several chapters. Festus, King Agrippa, uh, wanted to let Paul go free, but because he appealed to Caesar, they have to send him to Caesar. And Agrippa makes that happen, and so he's, he's sent along with a centurion. Centurions, and you find three of them in the New Testament. They are all three Mentioned in very well stead, um, I believe personally that all three of them came to faith in Christ. It, it appears as though from the biblical narrative that each one of them actually had a heart for God. And, and so I, I believe that the gospel reached them. Uh, we're fairly certain about two of them. One, uh, this one in particular, we do not know. But centurions were the hardcore they were the frontline soldiers. We might equate them to maybe a first or a second lieutenant. They were officers, but they were frontline. They were in the midst of the battle. They were right with the soldiers wherever they were fighting. So these guys were very well thought of by everybody. The generals loved them, and the foot soldiers loved them. And a centurion, a century meaning 100, a centurion was someone who was in charge of 100 other soldiers. And so they were a junior grade officer. Um, but they were almost always one of those people that if you were going to give a task to and you actually wanted to get it done, they were not a political military officer. They were actually an officer that you could count on to go into battle and, if necessary, die. So this centurion uh, becomes kind of a little bit of the center of this, of this story. Uh, and on this, in this case, this centurion whose name is Julius... Uh, gathers these prisoners from Caesarea. Some of them are not in the same state as the Apostle Paul. Some of them uh, probably are accused of higher crimes and they're literally going directly to their death. 
What they find an Alexandrian ship, and interesting here, uh, Alexandria is, of course, on the Nile Delta uh, in what is modern-day Egypt, so it's on the north coast of Africa, home to the world's largest library at the time. And in fact, we still to this day are indebted to the Alexandrians for the Alexandrian Codex, the, the, the scrolls that we have uh, available to us to this day that allowed us to translate um, Septuagint, uh, the, the original text, uh, and into our English Bibles. And so there in that uh, region of the world, the Alexandrians were famous for applying the Mediterranean Sea, and they had some huge ships. Uh, and so they're going to make this sail uh, across through the Mediterranean Sea and ultimately uh, head towards Rome. And as I said, the reason that I believe some people look at this story and they go, well, why would you include that? Uh, As I said, I think it's important to recognize that the word of God is not devoid of historical context. And very often some historical context is given so that we realize that this is a real story about a real group of people and a real ship. It's, it's not some allegory. It's not something that was, you know, a fanciful tale. This is the type of information that one could actually verify. And, and thanks to Roman historians, uh, the shipping records from the Roman Empire are one of those things that were fairly well preserved. And so it was common knowledge that ships traveled from the north coast of Africa. They would make their way along the coast of the north of Africa, up along modern-day Israel and Lebanon, and then loop around because they wouldn't cross the Mediterranean directly straight across because it was too dangerous. And so they stayed inside of land. If anything happened, if you're a couple of miles from the shore, you can swim to shore. But if you're out in the middle of the Mediterranean and, and you're ship is overturned, uh, they were lost. And furthermore, the Mediterranean is extremely deep out in the center. So uh, if you lost your treasure close to shore, you might actually be able to recover some of it. If you're out in the middle of the Mediterranean, you wouldn't be able to recover any of it. So this is a classic example of what you would expect to find uh, on a sailing uh, journey, and it fit the times. The the Roman battles against man at all odds and the Greek battles against man at all odds uh, were the the great stories of the time and they remain so today. Hence my reference to Jason and the Argonauts. And and so when we think about these things, this perilous journey uh, begins. As I said, it's 1,941 miles by sea if you map this out, which I actually did on Google Earth. It was kind of cool, you know, You, you can do that stuff, you know. You can actually go to a satellite map and start plotting out that course and find out what it is. By the time you add the land portion, it's over 2,000 miles that the Apostle Paul is going to travel. It's filled with all kinds of questions and very few answers as far as we're concerned. And, And the why question is fairly simple. But the most important part of it, the most important part of it, is God's sovereignty at work over everything in our lives. That's the part we need to lay hold of tonight. God's sovereign plan and his use of everything in our lives to attend to his plans and purposes for you and for me, for the church, for us as a group, for us individually. God is at work doing something in your life. And so when he sends you on a perilous journey, he's not doing so simply to terrify you. He's not doing so 
to, to see if you can survive. He's not doing so because he hates you. And so he sends you on a perilous journey. He's doing so because he has some greater work that he wants to do in your life and or mine, ours cumulatively. All of his work in human history uh, bears witness to his faithfulness and he has not once, not ever, not ever been unfaithful. God's incapable of it. And so he sends you on some journey. You can count on there being a reason that God is going to do this. As you look at this, there's a couple of things that further come to mind. Now we see actually the use of the pronoun we. And why is that important? Because this thing called Christian living is a we proposition. You were not intended to be alone in anything. We've already seen the Apostle Paul has had the the help of countless people. Uh, He's got now Luke and Aristarchus. He's got Julius. He's going to have the Maltese people come alongside of him uh, all along the way. Publius is going to come into view here. Uh, You've got the Roman Christians that will help him along his way on the Appian Way. Uh, You're going to see the Apostle Paul is aided by the hand of the Lord all along the journey. What looks impossible, God will do through using his own people to, to take care of those needs that the Apostle Paul has. That's where we need to grow a little bit. You know, sometimes we look at things purely uh, from, from how we view them with regard to rationale. And while there's nothing wrong with looking at things rationally, there's nothing wrong with being wise. There's nothing wrong with being prudent. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with having purpose. All of those things, there's nothing wrong with any of it. But you have to always be open to the fact that God may send you into a situation that doesn't make sense. That, that may not provide all the answers on the front end. And I think this is an area that most people can actually grow in. I know I can still to this day. It's like sometimes God just kind of messes with my apple cart a little bit. He re- rearranges the pencils and pens on my desk. Now I'm telling you, it freaks me out. You know, people come and they rearrange like pieces of paper on my desk and, you know, move something that I have sitting there and put it on the other side of my computer screen. I'm like, oh. It's like my my whole, you know, my feng shui got funged and shwayed. It's like, you know, it's like, why? That was over there yesterday. We need to let God do what God wants to do. I'm not saying gremlins messing with your stuff on your desk is necessarily the Lord. But what I am saying is, don't get so hung up on all the details that you miss the bigger picture. God actually may want to do something that you don't want him to do. But here's what you can do. You can rely on God to bring you the help that you need. To be alongside of you. To never let you down. He'll never let you down ever you see our problem is is that we think if things don't go exactly as we want them to somehow that translates to god doesn't like us god's let us down how come that thing happened to me i must not be pleasing to the lord and absolutely none of those things may be true 
God could be allowing something in your life because he knows you need a test in that area. And so he allows the thing that you wouldn't allow. Verse 3, in the next day we landed at Sidon. So now they're uh, about 60 miles north. Uh, They're stopping on the coast of modern-day Lebanon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And so you can begin to see the hand of God on, on what will prove to be a very perilous journey. Christian community uh, that, that originated there with the dispersion of believers after the death of Stephen. And, and so now he's, God's got his people in place all along the way. It is wonderful to me to see how God has his people all along the place, all, all in the places that they need to be um, as we take our journeys in life already gifted, already prepared. In many cases, they're waiting for you to arrive. I have friends all over the world. It's crazy. I I know if I landed in El Salvador and I I got on my phone and I texted Carlos or Carlito or Jorge that they would, whatever they're doing, they would drop what they're doing and they would come and they would make sure that, that I was taken care of. I know that. Not just because they love me, but because they love God. And we have a relationship. And because we're brothers in the Lord, they know they could do the same thing if they came here. God's preparing the way for you. Verse 4, and when we had put to sea from there, so now they're going to uh, begin this next leg of the journey. We sailed under the shelter of Cyprus uh, because the winds were contrary. Now you can kind of see that as, as they're sailing, they, they want to sail generally north. They're having to sail almost completely west because the wind is blowing basically straight at them from the north. And so they're going to go very sideways for a long period of time. The most direct route from uh, Sidon to Myra would have been almost directly uh, south and west from Cyprus. They would have come around it the other way, but... Uh, Paul actually did that on his third missionary journey. And so here in the remaining verses, there's a number of lessons. And I want to look at them in our, in our closing time. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, at the communion table. So it, it's summer now. The early autumn winds are blowing. And, and it's, it's about to be October. So it's the end of kind of the warm time of the year. Uh, and north of Cyprus, there's an island. And, and the mainland are there. And verse 5 it says, And when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, so that's modern-day Turkey, they've now kind of rounded, uh, instead of going north along Lebanon, they're now heading along the, the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. Uh, and the centurion found an Alexandrian ship uh, sailing for Italy and put us on board. So they've moved from this little tiny intercoastal vessel that's going up and down the coast, moves fairly quickly, spry, nimble, uh, a smaller sailing craft, and they put, they put them on an Alexandrian ship. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, uh, a city of Lycia. And there a centurion found that Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. And so they're, they're moving on this journey And he put them there on board is the picture. So they're now on another ship. Uh, Remember that as you read these things, Paul's giving us, or excuse me, Luke is giving us some details so that people will know who to contact about the reality of this journey. 
Uh, when you check this out for yourself, you're going to find out that Egyptian grain was actually the, the main Roman staple of the day. Uh, so it makes sense that a ship from Alexandria there in, in what uh, the, the Jewish people called Goshen, the best land. The land of Goshen was actually the Nile River Delta. One of the things that's grown on the outer edges of that is grain. Uh, one of the things that's grown there today to this day is actually rice. And, and so uh, Myra was a key hub of the imperial grain service. And verse 7 picks up. And, and when uh, we had sailed slowly for many days, we arrived with difficulty off Sindus. And the wind was not permitting us to proceed. So we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salmon. And passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacy. And so a couple of things from these verses. Number one, there's going to be days in your life where it's not an easy sail. There's going to be days when it's a hard sail. The winds are going to be contrary. In your life, you will experience these types of days. You know, one of the joys of sailing is the freedom uh, of being able to just go out, put the sail up, the wind catches it, and, and you can pretty much, depending on how you have your sails set, go any direction you want. But the hardest sail is directly into the prevailing wind. Anything, anything to the port, to the starboard of that prevailing wind, you can move easily. But if you're trying to go directly into the teeth of the wind, you've got to travel a long ways sideways. Can I tell you that in your life, you may have to travel a long ways sideways before you get to where you're trying to go? Because God's at work in your life. He's allowing things that you need to go through, and he's not going to let you go directly where you need to go. He's got some things that he may do. And so there's going to be days when you don't have an easy sail. There will also be days when you're going to face that strong headwind. You're going to have direct opposition, in other words. We as believers face direct opposition from time to time. And we need to not let it discourage us completely. It doesn't make it easy, but sometimes the wind's wind's going to blow in your face. What God does, what God allows, is going to be right smack dab in your face, just as it was here you see, if you stayed along the coastline, you kind of deal with what we call sheltering winds or gentle breezes. The coast kind of disrupts the, the fact that those winds are whipping off of the mountains up in, in Greece and Italy and coming from uh, the mountains of Crete and, and the Alps themselves in Europe. And so those winds get much less intense as you get near land. And now there's no way to prevent that. There will be times in your life where you're going to have to go out into the open sea. Early in our lives as believers, I think the Lord keeps us close to shore, keeps us on a short leash, doesn't allow us to get too far out into the deep. I, I can tell you from my experience of sailing here in Southern California, you know, when you're right next to the shore, and you can still see all the coastal landmarks. You can look and go, oh yeah, that's the hotel at the harbor, at Oceanside Harbor. You know, it's, it's not too freakish. You know, it's like, yeah, it's right there, you know, yeah, I can see where it's at. And if anything goes bad, I can actually see the lights on it at night. Even if it's dark, I can see it. Even if it starts to get foggy, I know I need to go that way quickly. But it's a little different story when you crest over the horizon. And now you can no longer see the shore. You can't see the buildings. And there's really big, great white sharks out there. Sometimes God puts you out in the open ocean. He says, I want you to trust me. 
And you, you have to trust your instruments. Family of God, you have instruments that God has installed in you. you you've got your own radar. It's the Holy Spirit. You've got GPS. You've got onboard auxiliary power. The Holy Spirit's working in your life. You can see things that you can't actually see because of what the Holy Spirit does in your life. You've got to trust God out on the open sea. You've got to trust your instruments. There are places in the world where there's sufficient magnetism that'll throw off what we used to use, which is a compass. And at times then you have to be able to look up at the stars. You have to be able to navigate a a little differently. You have to trust God that when that time comes, you're going to know how to navigate because you have spent time understanding who God is. God may put you out in the open sea. He may give you strong headwinds. may make it tough. The next thing we see uh, this little tiny place called Sendus <clears throat> had two harbors, ample accommodations for everybody, would have been an excellent stopping point uh, to wait for favorable winds, but the weather conditions made it impossible to put in. So you can imagine, here they are, they're sailing by, hey, there's Sendus, let's stop there. Why are we still going that? It's, that's good, that's bad. There are some times in your life where God has you sail by safe harbor. You're going to face actual peril. In order to get where God's sending you, you're going to have to give up the easy life. The sure port. The very still anchorage. He he may reset your finances when you get older and you really want that to happen. He, he may put you in a place to where, man, it was really safe over there, but it's sure not safe over here. I'd really rather be in that harbor. Connie and I were down, we were in a pedal kayak down in Huntington Harbor, and we're, you know, we're going back and forth in the little canals, and we're looking at all these yachts and stuff, and just pedaling, you know, here we are in a 12-foot-long kayak, and here goes a yacht going by. You're like, oh, yeah, that'd be a lot easier. Sometimes God doesn't allow you to go on a yacht. You're in a pedal kayak. And you're, you're getting bounced around by the waves. God's still got it. Just because just it isn't easy doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it isn't easy doesn't mean that it's wrong. Crete's the largest island in the Aegean Sea. And there's some plenty of safe places there. But just like we have our Santa Anas, man, when the Santa Anas are blowing here, sailing off the coast of California, is, it's not easy at times. It blows straight down the coast a lot of the time. And so if you're trying to get back in, it, it can be a little difficult. Difficult sailing can also be good sailing. Notice verse 9. And now when much time had been spent, the sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. So the fast would have been the fast of Yom Kippur. So now we're at the end of what we would call October. The ten days of awe have passed. All the fall feasts are gone. The fast is over. And Paul's advising, look, 
Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also in lives. Well, let me give you a little secret. If you've got a bunch of people on a grain ship, and you've got centurions and you've got sailors, and then some itinerant preacher who's been in prison for four years gives you an idea, chances are they're not going to listen. They weren't going to listen to Paul. Paul had heard from the Lord. There are going to be times when you will face things that are hopeless. Not because you don't see it correctly, but because God's doing something with the other people on this planet. God's doing something else with the other people in your family. God's doing something else with the other people in the business that you have. God is doing something else, and you can see it coming, but they can't. Because you're seeing it with God's eyes, they're not seeing it with God's eyes. And Paul knows that this is dangerous. He has actually some knowledge of it. The guiding principle of sailing in the Mediterranean at that point in time, that time of year, as it's very dangerous from mid-September to mid-November, and it is literally disastrous from uh, November or so till about mid-February. You just don't do it. The floor of the Mediterranean Sea is littered with thousands of shipwrecks. You still find new ones today. I mean, you, it's almost, it doesn't a month go by when they haven't un- uncovered some Roman slave galley or some other ship on the sea of the seafloor of the Mediterranean that still has his cargo in it. It's dangerous. Paul knew that, but that didn't stop God from letting him be on that ship. And you would think, well, maybe he would. Luke doesn't actually record the decision and why it's made the way it's made. But, but Paul's prediction to the centurion is going to come true. And that's a helpless feeling sometimes. I can tell you as a pastor, there are times when I feel pretty helpless because I can see what's coming. God's described very clearly in his word. Maybe some behavior in somebody's life. You counsel with him. You say, look, you know, this is what God's word says. I, I know you don't want to hear it, but God is 100% of the time correct. Here, he, he's telling you, you need to get out of this relationship or maybe this behavior. This is not going to work out for you because you claim to be a child of God. And because you claim to be a child of God, you need to be obedient to the word of God. So I'm prophesying over your life. Here's what the word says. And people go, well, I don't want to hear from a pastor. I want to hear from a psychologist. I want somebody to tell me this is Okay. And not all psychologists, by the way, think that way. I'm using it as an example. Or maybe I want to hear from a financial planner. I might tell them, hey, you know, God's really not going to bless you cheating on your taxes and lying on your mortgage app. You really don't want to do that. And you see, you see the disaster coming. You know that as a child of God, that person shouldn't go that way. And yet they choose to go that way anyway in spite of all the wonderful counsel that you've given them. So the Apostle Paul is on this boat. He says, I know what's going to happen to us. This is not going to go well. And yet at the same time, he's got to submit to be in the midst of it himself. You're going to face those times in your life. Part of it's because you've decided to allow God to use you. 
because you do the right thing, because you won't cheat, because you won't lie, because you won't steal, because you're going to live your life godly in Christ Jesus, you're actually going to face peril because of those things at times. You're going to be in a hard place. There's a fifth thing here as you kind of look at this. There's going to be times when you're going to suffer disasters from the decisions of other people. You're going to go down. You're going to face a shipwreck. And let me give you some very clear examples. There are times when husbands and wives will make bad decisions that will affect both of them. A husband makes some bad business decisions. Maybe it's vice versa. It could be the wife that does the same thing. I'm not trying to segregate this into a gender thing. But there may be times when your children make a decision that ultimately is going to cost you greatly. I have, a, I have a friend right now that's raising his fourth grandchild. Fourth. Got multiple children from multiple uh, spouses. At a time when they thought they'd be retired in life and they are raising children well past 70. Now, you don't see that one coming. And it wasn't because of anything they did. Very poor decisions made by other people put them in harm's way, which they have gladly taken up that and said, you know what, Lord, if this is what you have for us, we'll do it. But they weren't there because of the decisions they made. They're there because of the decisions their children made. You see, we're in perils often. Paul, as he would write to the church at Corinth, he reminded us of that there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is kind of like the other end of his resume. Now, now I'll tell you, whenever you want to, to see if someone really should be in ministry or not, you just have them read this chapter. Because here's what it says, verse 25, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, of which one of these will be one of those. The night and day I was in the deep, he was in, in the ocean itself. Journeys often, perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, fastings often, cold nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily. Oh my! Now notice what he says. My deep concern is for all the churches. Not for his own life. Not for all that stuff. Who is weak? I'm not weak. Who is made to stumble? I do not burn with indignation. He wasn't upset about it. He wasn't shaking his fist at God. I can't believe it. You know, I was okay with the perils and waters, but this perils of robbers, forget that stuff. Perils of my countrymen. I can handle anything but perils of my countrymen. It's as if the Lord God said through the Apostle Paul, look, here's what it takes. Adds new meaning to count it all joy, amen? When you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
verse 30, Paul goes on there in 2 Corinthians 11, but if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. (laughs) That's crazy in a really good way. It's like, look, I'm not sufficient. I'm going to boast in my insufficiency. People sometimes will ask, you know, well, you're kind of transparent. Yeah, and so was the Apostle Paul. I think we all need to boast in our infirmity, our inability, because the very next thing that we can follow it with is, but God. But God, who is more than able. Paul would go so far as to say, in my weakness, he is strong. Verse 11, back in Acts 27, and nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken of Paul. That actually shows he's probably intelligent. Doesn't show he's a very spiritual man, but it does say, look, I'm not going to listen to a tent maker when it comes to sailing. You may have that happen. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised us to set sail there from there also. And if by any means that we could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, and the opening towards the southwest and the northwest in winter there. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, I've been sent on a perilous journey. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. And as we tie up tonight, as we wrap up tonight, I wanted to speak to you for a moment about why those communion elements are so important in this story. Because the Apostle Paul could not have lived this kind of life apart from the sacrifice that was made for him at Calvary's cross. Because all this would be rather meaningless were there not some eternal purpose in Paul's life. And eternal purpose means exactly that. It means eternal purpose. And so when you think on these last couple of verses because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, and the majority advised to set sail from there also, you see the world is going to tell you to set sail from this thing called Christianity, safe harbor. It's going to tell you, yeah, it's not going to work out very well in the end. You need to stay where God's planted you. You need to give him the perilous journeys in your life. We never know what the Lord's actually going to do with us. You see that bread and that cup that's in those communion trays represents the reason why the Apostle Paul could be steadfast and immovable. And looking at things with an eternal perspective instead of a temporal one. And so I'm asking you tonight to look at things from an eternal perspective and not a temporal one. And we're going to spend some time, got a song and a half or so, that we have an opportunity to worship. And as you feel led of the Lord, I'm going to simply ask you to go grab the elements of communion. You can go back to your seat or another seat, or you can head someplace to your knees. You can go back with your spouse or your friend.
You can take those elements of communion and commit your journey to the Lord. Whatever it is. Whatever peril you find yourself in tonight. Wherever you think the Lord might be sending you, you're not quite certain that you want to go there. But maybe he's asking you to take a step of faith. Maybe you're here tonight and you just, you're just plain struggling. And you need to ask the Lord for some strength. The quickest way to strength is to acknowledge your weakness. And say, Lord, I, I can't do it unless you strengthen me. And we have been strengthened by what Jesus did at the cross. And so on this eve of Memorial Day, we once again find ourselves at the Memorial Supper as we celebrate what Christ did on the cross. But I'm simply going to ask you to, to pray for yourself and to thank God that he took a journey of peril that ended in his own death so that you'll never have to make that journey. You'll never experience eternal death as a Christian. You may have a tough journey from time to time. You may go some places that you kind of wonder what the Lord's doing. But because of that, because of the cross, you don't have to worry about perishing. Because his word declares it. Yet though he believe in me, he shall not, she shall not, we shall not perish. Oh, you're going to die someday. Or the rapture is going to happen. One of those two things. You're going to step out of time and into eternity. The question is, where are you going when that happens? So if you don't know the Lord... Tonight's a night that you can just simply quietly in your own heart ask Christ into your life to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then those elements of communion will be the first of one of many memorial suppers that you'll celebrate before you head home.